Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Alan, uh, welcome. Uh, Alan is he's actually teaching Romans in a Bible college in Mexico. Oh, awesome. John has covered the first part, but don't hesitate to jump in here. Uh, David, by the way, we didn't introduce. David is a preacher in uh, Indianapolis. Oh, and yes. You're in Indy? I'm sorry. I, I, I just, you know, you people in Indiana, it's sort of <laughs> one big. It's I'm, all the I'm same. In Indianapolis. I'm in Terre Haute. Okay. Terre Haute. Yeah, I'm, I'm in sorry. Indy at the moment. So, yeah. You're in Indy um, right now? Yeah. Okay. My son lives on the north side of Indy. So do I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Awesome. Good to meet you. And Jim, uh, Jim, where Hi, are Jim. you at? I always lose track. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, between Gettysburg, PA, and Baltimore. West. I'm in Westminster, Maryland. Thank Good you. Good to meet you. John, we don't want to take you away from your plan here, if you would like. Oh, sure. What was question two? <laughs> are there historical precedents, not just in this reading, but have other people identified what Campbell, a similar understanding? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we have some more recent scholars who are picking up on this. Even pre-Campbell, Porter is one scholar who was picked up on this pre-Campbell. As far as early stuff, I don't think this is a problem because I don't... The, the issue here is, right, is once speech and character kind of gets shifted out of its home culture, it kind of gets lost. It dissipates, right? Because you have no performative dimension of that text, right? It's only been fairly recently that we've, that historians, not myself, but historians have um, gone back and kind of understood how ancient texts were performed. Now, let's say... Because Origen doesn't read it as a speech and character, right? He's quite early. I'm not surprised by that at all. Once you've shifted out of that specific home culture and how that works within that specific situation, remember Paul's letters are contingent. They're for specific purposes. It's no wonder that someone doesn't sense these things. It, make, it makes total sense, right? Yeah, I... I, it's not surprising to me. They didn't need to say this is what he's doing because they knew what he was doing. Yeah. Is that what is that the point? Well, and like even if let's say okay with Romans for example, so Phoebe shows up with the letter, <laughs> right? She starts reading it out, performing it in front of the Roman Christians, right? So this would would have been rehearsed at Corinth. She gets it. She reads this out to them, and they go, hey, Phoebe, I don't know what you're talking about. What's going on with Romans 1 to 2, Romans 1 to 3? We don't get it. She can be like, here's how it works. This is how we've been instructed. Let me perform this to you again, right? So if the audience doesn't get it, or how this is supposed to be performed, there's a very 
clear practical way that a letter reader could be like, all right, let me tell you what's going on. Why don't you try to hear this again with new ears? That could easily happen. Um, and this does happen. <laughs> People don't get stuff. You have to be like, okay, here's kind of what I'm doing. Let me try it again. The resistance to it really speaks to the kind of unspoken magic that people believe about how the revelation happens through the Bible. It's like, mm. it's not a, a whizzy, whizzy wig. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. Immediate, mm -hmm. naive, you know, receipt. The minute that some, like, you know, I have people who would, I just am desperate to tell them this reading of Romans. Yeah. They've already thrown out Lucy Pepiot because they're like, I don't want a new Paul. And I'm like, no, she's talking, she's saying this is the original Paul, actually. This is what Paul actually meant. But it's the idea that there's these layers or that reading is a, a more complex experience and maybe culturally contingent is just not, it's a, it's a hard sell. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> and like we're reading ancient texts. Like that's the thing is like, of course we're going to find surprising things. Of course we are. And like, I get, I can even grant someone who really thinks this is like, for example, the inerrant word of God that the text is, right? I can even grant that and be like, okay, that's fine. That doesn't mean that there isn't cultural and contingent reasons for somebody presenting a text a certain way. Maybe we haven't gotten it yet. Maybe this text is much richer and much more interesting than we thought it was, than just the set of propositions that we... <laughs> get preached to us on Sunday morning, right? I think it is. I think it is much more interesting and much richer than that. So that's why I keep coming back to the Bible. And that's why I love Paul and why he's such a rich source of, of insight to me and why I've devoted, I don't know, almost 20 years of my life to studying Paul. <laughs> so. let, let me suggest something to you. I'm afraid that if we do cling to an inerrant text yes. in a kind of Muslim notion yeah, of yeah. the Quran, sure. that we're not going to be, I don't think that we can, first of all, I don't think we're going to get the text right. Yes. Uh, because that's just not the way that it's functioning. Absolutely. I am suspicious that implicit in this understanding is a very different notion first of all of who god is but certainly of the way that authority works absolutely yes yeah couldn't agree more <laughs> and to be clear i'm not an inerrantist i'm <laughs> i'm a good bardian so uh <laughs> not <laughs> i have a cl um, clarifying question is, yeah yeah brad is there um Speech and character, mm -hmm. just say Romans 1, 2, and 3. Mm -hmm. Is it how many characters are there in addition to Paul? I know there's the teacher, maybe in Romans mm -hmm. 1. So in Romans 2, is it a different character that is naming the, or is that Paul who's naming the, the judger? Great question. That is Paul naming the, the judger. So he two one is a kind of turn on the person speaking in Romans right. one eighteen to thirty two. So it's Paul being like, "You say this stuff." So he says, "Therefore, you 
oh man, right? Yeah. When you judge people for doing these things, you're doing the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. So Paul at 2.1 is turning on what's being said in Romans 1, 18 to 32, right? And saying, you say this stuff, but have you thought about all this stuff that's going on <laughs> implicit in what you're saying? Um, so you get into the stuff about the Torah or the law. You get into the stuff about circumcision, Romans 2 as well. You also get this funny insertion of Paul talking about judgment, which I I find very funny, where he he's talking about judgment and he kind of inserts in parenthetically and he goes, judgment according to my gospel through Jesus Christ, right? Um, which is a funny insertion. It's the first time Jesus is mentioned after Romans 1, 18 to 32, right? So that's a very funny thing. Um, I, saw that, I saw that as him uh, saying that judgment was the basis of judgments and that the, the, the means of judgments was Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And that uh, connects. As opposed to wrath. You're exactly right. And this links up so well with Romans 14, where Paul gives his account of judgment in Romans 14. Okay. Um, and Romans and 4. it's through and it's through Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's this passage in Romans 4 that says, the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. Yeah. So that's obviously the situation that he's presenting in his gospel. There is no law in this situation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. That's exactly right. Yep. Great point. So th there's not multiple characters. Nope. There's just the switching back and forth between Paul and the teacher. Yep. And it gets kind of tight in there between in Romans 2 and especially in 3. <laughs> and is that echoed in and carried forward in 6, in chapter 6? I don't think so in 6. I think there is some going on. So this you have to wait for my book with Doug. I think there's some going on <laughs> uh, in four as well. Mm. I think there's some kind of back and forth going on in four, where the teacher's voice or Paul kind of mm. using the teacher implicitly in Romans four comes through. I also think in Romans ten, yeah. it comes through. There there is a kind of a, him propping up the the teacher again as well. Uh, but you'll have to wait for that book or read the rest of Deliverance of God. But we we make it a bit more uh, plain in in the new book that's coming out next next spring. So, well, I'm just yeah. getting started. So with your help, it might take less than twenty years. <laughs> but I'm just waiting to get my Greek New Testament out of the box that it's in because we just moved. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and and I'm not really doing good with the. The online helps, but I think there's a lot to re-read and to reconsider, and it's fascinating. I did a good bit of just reading the NAS one yeah. three yeah. this week, and I think yeah, I think the key thing, light. I think the key thing for this discussion and really any discussion about Paul, and I want to make this very clear, <laughs> is that Paul, Paul's gospel is all about a God of unconditional love revealed in Jesus Christ, specifically, by way of the Spirit. That's where Paul's thinking begins. That's where all his missionary work begins. It begins with that. Okay? So that's our starting point. 
for understanding what Paul's doing, right? This is where we're at. This can get us more attuned to where there are certain passages, namely Romans 1 to 3, that seem a bit weird, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But the more we're attentive to that God, that God of love, the more we can see how this other kind of so-called gospel is no gospel at all, as Paul would say in, in Galatians, right? We, we really need to be attentive to, to this God of love. Um, this is where theology can help us, even as we're trying to exegete and, and work through texts, right? We need to be holding on to that all the way through, because I think that's what Paul is witnessing to fundamentally. We're caught up in this, this God of love. Can I ask you a quick question, John? You, you said earlier, I don't know, it was sort of an off-the-cuff thing. Uh, sure. I'm fine with wrath. I'm not fine with retribution. Yes. Do you, uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Because I have um, some folks in my life who love wrath. The love yeah, of yeah. God, they are into it intensely, like almost in a weird way. Sure. Depends on what kind of wrath you're talking about, right? So I have two parents. <laughs> Thankfully, and it's a gift they're still alive and they they mean a lot to me and they raised me and they were loving unconditionally so i did some bad stuff growing up right is there going to be wrath there when i do bad stuff yes <laughs> is it going to be the wrath of somebody who who disowns you no is it going to be the wrath of somebody who wants to draw you back into relationship with them as your parent, as your loving parent. Yes, that's the sort of wrath that's revealed in the gospel. That's the sort of wrath that's revealed in Christ. It's a loving anger that does not let go or give up on the object of its grief. Does not let go. So it's a very different kind of wrath. Retribution would say something else. Right? <laughs> it would be totally different from what I just said. Right? There is a loving anger that wants to and seeks to draw you back into loving relationship. And that's where I see wrath with with God as real in Christ. That's where I see wrath. Yeah. Flowing out of the love of God. Absolutely. Yep. God is love. Yeah. Yep. God is not wrath. Jeff, you had a series of questions for John, <laughs> and this is your oh, opportunity. Well, I mean, you've answered you've answered them, man. Like this has been great. I, I, I I'm hoping. Actually, I'm thinking that maybe your book is the answer to the big question for me, which is how to, you know, how how to respond and try. It, it's a very it's a hard pill to swallow that there might be a new reading of Rome, like a Romans reading that gets it after 2,000 years, even though for those of us who are in really low church situations, we don't mm. believe in tradition, right? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. all of a sudden, we do believe in tradition, and if it never showed up in church history, then how could it be true, right? How could God let something like that happen? Um, but, you know, any tips you have or any thoughts you have on engaging this? Like Paul has said to us in previous classes, like, you know, engaging the argument is really probably the best way in, right? Or that's the only way that'll really be satisfying if you really engage with it. But 900 pages isn't something that I can pitch to most people. 
Do you have thoughts on that? How about 300? Yeah, that's <laughs> Give them the options, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. This or this. Yeah, yeah. How about 300? Okay, yeah. The book, I think, will be helpful. I mean, th that's kind of what it's for. Yeah. I Like I was saying to Paul, I think before anyone got on, you may have been on, Jeff, this is not going to happen overnight. This is going to take a, a long time for people to process, especially people who, so they they want whether consciously or not <laughs> they're really holding on to some of the theology that paul is opposing they really want god to be just in a certain kind of way because they've been told this and then they see it in the text and they're like yeah god is a retributive judge right there is a lot at stake for people and i i want to be understanding about that and i think we need to be um something i've learned from my um, my teacher and mentor, Douglas Campbell, is that with any of this sort of stuff, whether it's it's trying to convince or, or introduce someone to a, a different way of thinking about things, or even with missions, even with, you know, forming relationships with people, the means is the end for this. The way you conduct yourself in a conversation with someone, in a relationship, is what's important, Okay. And I think we Christians kind of do a bad job at that. I think we tend to really, and I, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not talking about this in terms of like, I, I don't do this because I can be a bit aggressive from time to time and like, why doesn't anyone see this? Right? Like, but I think taking a posture of humility and love and trying to come alongside somebody and just be like, hey, here's the stuff I'm learning. It's really important to me. It's really influenced me in this way. I'd love for you to, to read this. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to get your take on this. And when you have a relationship of trust with somebody, that can have effects in terms of changing people's minds. Without that relationship of trust with somebody, they're not going to care because you don't care about them. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, it all begins with an established relationship of trust and love and desire in the full augustinian sense desire to know somebody else okay i think it it starts with that um i can't remember the word that you used but i called it the um the lens yeah. that you use to look at well all of scripture yeah uh it's good to start with the positive and of course the yes. lived the lived lens, you know, the part of it is mm -hmm. this is something I am living out and yeah. it's something it's and stating positive vision, like reading Ephesians, reading Romans eight yeah, and reading, reading those things first and being able to backtrack to say, well, eventually go <laughs> going over Romans one, two <laughs> and three with people more specifically. Yeah. But I think at some point it's going to be like, oh, wait, are you one of those people who believes that Romans 1 is out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's such that's a foundational text. No, I know. Natural that's, that's what's law. Hard. Yeah, yeah, that's what's and, hard. And people, sure. there's, there is a lot riding on it. There is a lot at stake if you're able to bring that text into a, a new light that's not, you know, natural law. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the basic thing is like... For all of us here, 
how are we witnessing to the love of God revealed in Christ in the way that we act and talk and, and interact with people? Like that that's the basic thing. If we get that right, if we're acting in that way, if we're posturing ourselves in that way, I think stuff's going to happen. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I have hope. I really, really do believe that. It's just a small reflection of the uh, phrase, the word became flesh. Mm. Yeah. So You are that scripture to that person, just like people have been scripture to me hundreds of times. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, first of all, I'm not completely familiar with the argument because I do have the book of Deliverance, but it's been on my reading list. <laughs> but as you can see, I have quite a few on the reading list there. But It's a good uh, doorstopper, yeah. I, I was, uh, the way I think about, you know, this or any new argument, mm. uh, as as you were saying, John, we, we usually tend to just like shut down for something new. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm not. This is not the way we've interpreted. But if we are willing to listen and we're willing to change. And I think something similar happens with the Old Testament. A lot of people see a wrathful God over there. Uh, that's yeah. the relationship they have with God until you find uh, a hippie kind of Jesus. And you're like, that doesn't match with the description that i have in the old testament uh but that's what happens you know when god lets his sons describe him and you know, when you're a kid uh when you're a child mm. whenever you're punished uh, parents seem wrathful <laughs> when you're an adult and you have your own kids and talk to your parents you understand a lot of things mm. and so you're perspective on jesus and god in the old testament changes when 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 you mature in in that walk so i think maybe uh, a way of saying all this is we have to be open uh to new ideas and see new perspectives it, it might show light on something that we've never seen before and mm. i might throw in my relationship with god this way so if, if this conversation helps us you know, have a better relationship with this uh, God of peace, I think it's it's worth paying attention. But let me be a little bit perverse <laughs> and suggest... <It's> always... <laughs> Depends on how perverse, yeah. yeah. That, in other words, yours, this notion that we should be loving and... Yes. But, but let me suggest that, yes, but that is precisely the problem that we're faced with in an understanding of retributive justice, uh, a punishing God, uh, the way the world works. In other words, the, the very, the, the text itself, I think we are clinging to an understanding that fosters an attitude that is in fact oppressive this treatment of other people that we all know in some way is there in the gospel i think it's obscured by an understanding that we're getting from romans 1 to 3 my reading of romans 1 to 3 is not oh what a peculiar problem we have here but isn't this the prototypical problem that paul is presenting in the person of this teacher in other words this is the human understanding of God, of the world, of human relations. And we're all just fostered in this. 
And that is part of what we're up against. It's not just, a, it is reading of the text, but it is a, an alternative reading of reality that we're talking about. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much more I could add to that. I think you're right. It's a, it's a different account of, this goes back to the, I think the heart of the matter is like, who is God? Who is God for us? That's the heart of the matter. How do, how do we speak accurately about this God too? These are two very interrelated issues, right? But it really is about who is God. <laughs> is it a God who, before the foundation of the world, elected and created people to be in a family, a loving family, to exist together forever? Or is this God going to be a God who, like I said, with the parent analogy, disowns certain people? for being disobedient, right? These are two very different pictures of God. Which one is right? How do we know? We look to the fullest revelation of who this God is, and that's Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus. He is our criteria for how to figure this stuff out. Um, I'm going full on Bardian here, obviously, but like that that's where I go. <laughs> Jesus Christ and the God revealed there is our criterion for truth. That's where we go and nowhere else. Otherwise, we're just going to screw everything up. And we do. And we have. Jeff, you had a question. I can't claim I understood the question about supersessionism. Yeah, I, think, I guess it was, you know, what's the status of the law? Sure. I, yeah. I can respond to the supersessionism point. This is a common and understandable itself. I get it. Like, we're, we're talking about Jesus Christ being the fullest revelation of God, right? <laughs> so, is it a form of supersessionism, sort of apocalyptic approaches? I think that was the question. Uh, no, I think it's actually quite the opposite. <laughs> apocalyptic, properly understood. What I mean by apocalyptic, too, is what I've been talking about, that apocalypsis in Greek just means revelation, un unveiling, disclosing. There's a kind of small but mighty school in Pauline interpretation of people who take this up. I am included in that. I think apocalyptic properly understood is actually one of the only ways to combat supersessionism in Paul. There's a common mistake made by some people trying to understand apocalyptic as something like we're claiming God made an initial plan with Israel, right? And that plan failed. And we're claiming that God now suddenly arrives in history in Jesus and sort of wipes out everything that came before, wipes out that covenant, wipes out the importance of Jewish practices, wipes out the Torah. Um, and then the church replaces Israel. Those who respond to Christ replace Israel. So that's a certain form of supersessionism. That's the charge that gets leveled against uh, people in kind of my camp. Uh, so basically Jews and their treasured practices get erased in the light of Jesus, right? And if they, if Jewish people want to be a part of God's new people that's been established, they need to leave their previous identities behind, right? That tends to be how this goes. But this is just wrong. <laughs> um, like I said, Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. And in the light of this revelation, we can then look back retrospectively, and see that God in Christ has purpose to elect and create a people from before the foundation of the world. 
Christ has been involved all along throughout history and has been the key to the meaning of Israel, of history, of the cosmos, from its inception. There is no, like, before or after Christ. <laughs> Christ is the one in whom everything lives, moves, and has has its being, okay? And Paul is quite clear about this, actually, in the light of this reality, as he says in Romans 9 through 11, God will never give up on his people, Israel. They are God's people as Jews. They never get erased for Paul. Never. God's promises are irrevocable. Okay? Never goes away. That's so important. And so many people miss that. Whatever lack of response to Jesus that that certain Jewish people have, it's temporary for someone like Paul. It's not a final kind of indictment of where they're at. It's temporary for him. As he says, all Israel will be saved. <laughs> he's quite explicit about that, right? Because <laughs> um, he's a Jew. He is a part of Israel, right? So Paul is already seeing, even in his time, a remnant of Jewish people who are responding to the Messiah, which for him is a sign of this larger hope. That in the end, everyone will be involved in God's purposes again, okay? And he never expects Jews to abandon the Torah. Never. Who does he say should not follow the Torah or get circumcised? Pagans. <laughs> right? Not Jews. He's not talking about Jews. You know? Um, Jews stay as Jews when they respond to Christ. The sort of new thing that Paul's doing here, though, is that this does happen through Jesus, right? Jesus is the rationale for all of these things. In heaven, on earth, below the earth, as he would say in Philippians 2. Um, but the image of the new transformed cosmos, the new transformed reality, as I think Paul, Paul Axton would like this, the new reality this reality of God, however dimly we're actually involved in it now, will be realized eventually and fully in a Jewish man from Galilee. That's important. <laughs> that means that God does not give up on the Jewish people. Jesus is a Jew. So this is far from supersessionism. <laughs> I, think, I think this is the one of the best ways to kind of combat this. Um, it may cause hard conversations, right, with our Jewish brothers and sisters who don't see it this way, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that there's something anti-Semitic or, you know, uh, supersessionist going on. It just means that there are going to be hard conversations, and I think that's that's okay. Um, but that's probably a good thing, right, because we have a lot to learn from each other. Yeah. And I suppose you only get rid of the Torah if you're reading you're reading it in a non-Second Temple Judaism, like whatever the Jewish, like reading the, the false teacher as a Jew yeah. rather than a Jewish Christian who's bringing in some version of law and, a, you know, atonement yes. is really just doing a weird mis mishmash of, of things. Yes, that's, ex that's a great point. Yes, it, that's exactly right. So <laughs> this is one thing that 
the the sort of rereading does well is that it's it's not saying that this is a universal indictment on Jews as mm-hmm. Jews, right? This is against a certain opponent who is, as you were saying, sort of pulling in a bunch of stuff and kind of combining them in a certain way in his gospel, kind of combining mm-hmm. Jesus in there in some way. Um, but that's not Paul is not targeting Judaism when he uses works of law. Yes, he is talking about it legalistically because he's thinking about this these teachers. They're the ones who are doing this. It's not Jews across space and time. <laughs> right? So this is where which, contingency comes in. Yeah. Which is the grand tragedy, I think, in the traditional reading. Yeah. That you could almost attribute an anti-Semitic attitude that arises and has had horrific results to a Lutheran reformed justification by faith. Yeah, that's right. And it, it has horrible consequences, not just politically, or not just theologically, but politically. And I think we've seen this happen uh, for a long time. Um, it comes out of this reading of Paul, I think. And we need to we need to be clear about this. And we need to resist it. And maybe what we would, you know, in that reading do to the Jews, so too every resistant culture. In other words, what what we end up with in justification theory is a kind of cultural imperialism. Oh, yeah. I'm not not saying it's only from that. Yeah, it's it's inherently colonizing, right? (laughs) Especially the sort of um, evangelism that flows from this, right? So I have the truth. I'm going to bring you the truth to where you are. You have to kind of come into the doors of the church. You have to buy into the stuff. You need to be shorn of your practices wherever you are and basically become a, a Protestant. <laughs> but, um, you know, like it, it's, it is colonizing and it, it's, it's damaging. It's also just totally inattentive to loving your neighbor. Like, there is no love of neighbor in this at all. And obviously, Paul doesn't speak that way, but there is no kind of attentiveness to the people around you. It's just, I have this, I'm going to kind of give it to you a little bit if you assent to it, and then you can be brought in to the church, as long as, on the condition that you leave behind all this stuff. That's horrible. That has a horrible history. The moment you can other Jewish people impulse text who can't you other you're going to start othering poor people you're going to start othering people of color you're going to start othering all sorts of marginalized people it's just inherent in that reading and it's 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 terrible which was sort of my point my perverse point (laughs) yeah that in other words i think the obstacle that we have that the gospel is saving us from justification theory is just playing into the obstacle itself in other words yes. this this is the problem that paul is presenting yeah. now it it gets muted a little bit because we get it fused you know we get the the fault the false teacher and we get paul fused and so we imagine i don't know in other words if we don't sort this out I don't know how we can understand what the problem is, what the predicament is, 
which Paul is saying, you know, he's saying this is what the gospel speaks over and against. Yeah. Because we've so, we're so attached to this reading uh, that we've made it no gospel at all in, I would say, in Paul's estimate. Yeah. That's too dark, but. No, it's not too dark. It, it, it's just hard to, to know how to to kind of address these things with, with people who are so attached to this bad construal of the gospel, especially because it, it's so easy to kind of lose patience, even if you don't buy like the rhetorical rereading. Obviously, we all agree that God is love. God is <laughs> like, we, we agree on that. I think everyone here agrees on that, that God is a, a loving God who's revealed in Christ. And that's great. But to convince people of that is even a kind of feat in itself. Like, it, it's so hard, which sucks. <laughs> I, I really think the way, the way you can do it, John, is by yeah. writing a uh, Beyond Justification teen edition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. I could. Yeah. Get them while they're young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody else does, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I think this is perfect for you know a generation coming up. The people that haven't been indoctrinated That's are point, beautiful. Actually, the, yeah. yeah, they. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I worked, I worked in churches for a, a long time, and principally with youth and children. So I have the kind of way of connecting with youth, but. Yeah, I haven't really thought about doing a kind of. You could do the Prosopopoeia speech and character as a graphic novel instead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Great ideas, Jeff. I'm if you ever do that, translate it to Spanish, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll do my we, we best. Need some of that too. Yeah, I'll do my best. You're going to have to help me out. <laughs> well, you know, like here in uh, the Bible College where I'm teaching, uh, yeah. I, ha I have these issues too, you know, where. It, ironically, I have to convince Christians that God is a God of love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and going with what Jeff was asking, like uh, they usually hear ha have a uh, Acts before Galatians and Romans, which yeah. is the class I'm teaching this semester, and uh, they always come with the idea that Paul converted, you know, from Judaism to Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they jump in in my class, I'm like, no, he converted from violence to pacifism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference there. And yeah. So it's really hard for them to to grasp this idea uh, because yeah. it's so ingrained in, in their theology that it's it's so difficult to let uh, let go. I, I was uh, doing a sermon uh, during chapel once there while I was visiting the Bible College because it, it's it's a Bible College like eight hours away from from where i am the sermon was kind of going along the lines of uh brian sands uh uh book on uh sinners in the hands of a loving god or something like that yeah yeah uh, i used that title and and then wrote a sermon on that and so people were like you're just going against the scripture <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. no i'm not but yeah. it's it's really interesting to to see that you know it doesn't matter where you are in the world I'm I'm all over here, all the way over here in Mexico, and we have the same issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Where are you at, Alan? I'm in Manzanillo. Uh, okay, gotcha. So, it, it, but it's really it's really interesting that we're, we have the same the same issues, and when you try to correct uh, theology, it, it is shocking for people to see that you're, you're interpreting things in 
a totally different way. But uh, what Jeff was, uh, or I think it was Axton who suggested that, you know, maybe the new generations. Uh, I have a girl here in, in the church who's, uh, she's been a Christian for like the last four years, I think. So she's fairly new to Christianity. And so with her, I had the opportunity to just like teach her theology this other way. And so she started reading the Bible from Genesis. And every now and then she'll, you know, send me questions about things that she's noticing there. But an interesting thing was that whenever she got to Genesis 6, she was like, I'm so confused about something. I, I have a question. And I was like, oh, here comes the question about violence. <laughs> and, and she was like, why do people see an angry God there? Mm. I was like, well, that's a whole different question. <laughs> and she's like, I'm, I, mm. what I'm reading is a God that's rescuing people from yeah. violence. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I wish yeah. we had, we, we, we would have more people, you know, that can yeah. start from scratch like her. Unfortunately, we have, you know, those lenses that we just see things in a different way because we grow up that way. Not everyone can start like this girl, but uh, it is an interesting thing. And I, my hope is that too, that maybe this, these new generations were rediscovering Christianity or discovering it for the, for the first time. Uh, they might grow as better theologians than we've had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, Alan, I'd, I'd love to, to keep in touch with you about that, especially stuff in Mexico. Um, my, a lot of my very extended family is from Leon in Guanajuato. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we keep in touch. Yeah. Sounds good. I've been editing a, the class we did on Ephesians and we spent an hour or so just, I was going over, you know, Ephesians, the, the imitation of God and, you know, that trying to, we were, we were talking, you know, that this is this notion of imitation is kind of a odd notion given that it include is inclusive of an ethic. You know, it's a very Anabaptist notion. As we were talk, hashing this out for like an hour, I realized we had a, one of our students was an, uh, a new Christian who had never been, you know, he, he knew none of this. And I realized this has to sound idiotic to him because we're just making a simple claim that imitation of Christ is a salvific, that this is the way that we come into an ethical understanding. I said, Brent, this has had to sound strange to you. He said, yeah, I said, uh, I, I can't get what your problem is. <laughs> and I think the same thing is true with this conversation. For sure, yeah. If, if we haven't been indoctrinated into this wrong understanding, I think that people obviously, they say, well, of course, this is who God is, and this yeah. is the way he works. Yeah. John, this Absolutely. has been a, a wonderful evening. I'm, I, I, uh, oh, man, yeah, this has been amazing thank you i, I want to thank you so much paul for for uh having me on and yeah this has been wonderful i also want to say anyone on here Pleasure anyone that. wants to connect please do yeah. good deal good deal well we thank you thank you yes you are a resource and i i almost <laughs> i i want to you know keep you and while, while we have you well i'm happy you, to come i'm very happy to come back at any point so we yeah. we We'll we'll have to have you back, and I know that John is recovering from COVID, but you seem to be firing on all cylinders to me. 
<laughs> yeah. Doing good. When does your book come out? Yours? Uh, yeah, March 1st. Okay. Yeah, so it's a bit, but yeah. That'd be great. Hey, hey we'll uh, yeah. let us know and uh, we'll do everything here we can to promote your book. Like we can, yeah. if you want to come on for a podcast. Brian's on. Was that you, Alan? Brian's on. Yeah, so Brian's on wrote the forward for this book. So, oh. um, <laughs> so he, he, he loved I'll, it. Uh, I'll write a review in Spanish in my website. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks so much, yeah. John. We, we very much appreciate this. Of course. Bye, what everyone. Is... All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 Good night. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.